0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Welcome fellow Lions fans. I'm Dr. Jimmy Liao, University of Michigan Medical School grad, board certified in family medicine, here to give you your weekly medical update on the Detroit Lions. A sad day against the Bears on Sunday. At least on Monday, we got to see the Packers unsuccessfully attempt to pull a horseshoe out of their ass. Today, we're going to be talking about Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, Alex Anzalone, Ali McNeil, Bruce Irving. Do a Broncos game preview. They had a couple injuries. James Houston and CJ GJ updates, as well as a deep dive into the question, should players who get injured in a game continue to keep playing? We'll do all that next. Lions fans. It's time for the podcast you've been waiting for, the show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. I'm recording this Wednesday. The injury report just dropped, which is the second this week because we have a game on Saturday bears game recap no injuries were noted during the game branch had x-rays reportedly after the game but he's not on the report which is good news he should be fine taylor decker unexpectedly showed up on the tuesday report with a back i reviewed all his snaps from the second half he played well until the final drive where he gave up four pressures on six plays the last third down of the previous drive he fell hard on his back so maybe the injury occurred there Or maybe he aggravated an existing issue. Regardless, on Wednesday he got up to an LP, which is great news. Probably just something simple like a soft tissue strain with spasms and not something more serious like a herniated disc, spine arthritis, or a Vitae nerve impingement issue. Benito Jones is on the report with two LPs this week with a neck. Not sure what's going on with him. LP is reassuring, not something serious. We just lost Bohanna from the practice squad. So Benito being healthy is going to be important for us. Frank Ragnow, two LPs is excellent news. He hurt his left knee in the second quarter against the Saints. He missed one game. On video, a possible ACL or PCL sprain of the knee. He had NPs all last week, which was concerning. But LPs this week is an excellent sign that this is not a long-term injury, and he has a decent chance of playing on Saturday. Bruce Irving's on practice squad, so he's not going to show up on the report, but he had a left high ankle sprain on video in the first quarter of the Saints game. It happened when he got a sack, and you can see the video on my Twitter. He played through it, although he only played 11 total snaps in the game Ended up missing the Bears game. Previous mild high ankle sprains with Decker, Jonah Jackson, and Brian Branch have cost the players two or three games. So there's a chance that Bruce Irvin could miss another game against the Broncos. The Broncos had multiple injuries come out of their game against the Chargers. Nick Bonito, who leads the team with seven sacks, plays generally 60 to 80 percent of snaps, got hurt in the first quarter. The video was not clear, but it looked like a possible MCL. He's had NPs on Tuesday and Wednesday, so if this is an MCL spring, it's not looking good. On Twitter, at total 90 commented that Nick Benito's only the leading pass rusher because he played twice as many games as Cooper and Browning because they were out for injuries. But Cooper and Browning have been the starters since coming back, so thank you for that insight. Speaking of Jonathan Cooper... He has a right high ankle sprain on video after his interception. He's had LPs Tuesday and Wednesday, so it doesn't sound like anything too serious. There's a chance he could play. Safety PJ Locke hurt his neck in the game and has had two MPs this week, so he might miss the game. They're already missing Kareem Jackson due to suspension for hitting guys in the head. An interesting one is Quinn Miners, the starting guard left the game due to palpitations in the first half and hospitalized overnight. My initial reaction was that atrial fibrillation, or AFib, was a good possibility. For reference, Graham Glasgow had AFib in 2021 and missed one game. AFib is an irregular rapid heart rate that can cause lightheadedness, fatigue, shortness of breath. I'm sure he got a full set of labs in the ER, cardiac echo, heart monitoring, as well as possibly a CT of his chest. Reports were that he's fine and no issues. He had a FP on Tuesday and Wednesday, which is surprising to me. I cannot imagine doctors clearing him to have a full practice just two days after an AFib episode, so it suggests to me it may have been a false alarm and he did not have a true arrhythmia. It could have been something like PVCs, which are premature ventricular contractions. Benign, skipped beats happen in young people, no big deal, generally not a sign of any kind of cardiac issue. Also could have been a panic attack, which can cause similar symptoms of high pulse rate, lightheadedness, shortness of breath. Once the panic attack resolves, no problems with playing football. So it sounds like Quinn Miners is going to be ready to go against the Lions. Let's talk about Alex Anzalone. Reports this past week confirmed a left thumb injury. Alex described it as a thumb slipping out of place and that he had a screw inserted three days after the injury. Thus, my assumption that he did not have surgery was incorrect. With this new information, I'm suspecting a base of thumb dislocation, which is the carpometacarpal joint. There are 16, yeah, 16 ligaments that stabilize this base of the thumb joint. The ulnar collateral ligament I discussed last episode is one of them. So one or more of the ligaments was sprained or torn, causing an unstable joint which required surgical fixation. Doesn't change prognosis at all. Likely will take a few weeks to heal. We'll wear this cast or a splint in the meantime, but he can play through it without risk of further injury. He struggled early in the game against the Bears with his tackling, but then seemed to settle in. Aleem McNeil surprisingly went on IR last week. Let's review his case. He got hurt early in the third quarter at about the 13-minute mark of the Saints game. He missed the rest of that series but played every other series for the rest of the game. He was wearing a soft brace. He looked agile. He looked good. He only went down one more time, which is at about the 3-minute mark of the fourth quarter. The play he went down looked pretty benign, so uncertain if he actually got hurt on that play or not. Likely something unexpected showed up on the MRI after the game. Possibilities include a bone bruise, cartilage damage, and MCL spraying. Aleem spoke to reporters and said he's expecting to be back right after IR, which would be January the 7th against the Vikings. I'm not so confident about that. If there's any way he could have been back four weeks or earlier, I can't imagine the Lions would have put him on IR, given his importance to the team. So the fact that they put him on IR does suggest that it could be more of like a five or six week injury, which would start pushing him into the playoffs. The big question is, should he have gone back in the game? Well, in retrospect, no, because he either aggravated the initial injury or paying from the initial injury led to a subsequent injury. I don't blame medical or the player for playing through this one, though. The initial injury video looked benign, looked like a simple contusion, did not see any significant knee sprain or knee damage. When he returned, he looked good. He showed good power, good agility, looked fast, looked like there was not any kind of major issue. So there was no good reason to suspect something more serious based on the injury video and the way he returned to play afterwards. Later in this podcast, I'm going to do a deep dive into the multiple cases. I count about 10 of the Lions continuing to play and then missing subsequent games. Let's do an update on James Houston. A couple bits of new information dropped in the past week. He talked to reporters last week and said he expects to be ready before the playoffs. The last regular season game is January the 7th, and the playoffs start January the 13th. Dan Campbell a couple days ago said he expects late December or January, so about the same timeline. To recap his case, Game 2, September 17th, video showed a severe right high ankle sprain with an associated fibula fracture. Players who have had similar injuries in the past include Dak Prescott in 2020, Drake London at USC in 2021. They were out over four months. Jalen Waddle at Alabama in 2021 returned in 11 weeks for the national championship game, but he was very hobbled and limping probably needed at least another month. Odell Beckham in 2017 hurt himself in Game 5 and missed the rest of the year. So right from the beginning, the initial estimates were four-plus months. Now, the four-month mark would be mid-January. If he returns before that, kudos to him for quick healing and strong rehab, but we still got a ways to go before that happens. Now, the big question with him is effectiveness when he does return, he needs a strong and flexible ankle to rush the edge. We just saw Bruce Irvin get a high ankle sprain on his sack last week against the Saints. He was rushing from the right edge position and got a left high ankle sprain. This is an example of why it's going to be difficult for Houston to rush from the left edge position because he has a right ankle sprain. Jeff, there is had a nice article adding some previously undisclosed surgical details, which were multiple screws and threaded ropes. The threaded rope sounds like a tightrope surgery, which is used for a high ankle spring. If that's the case, it would be confirmation of the high ankle spring I saw on video. So what is tight rope surgery? High ankle springs will separate the tibia and fibula. Tightrope surgery holds the tibia and fibula together to create stability, which allows that high ankle sprain to heal. It was developed around 15 years ago, so it's a relatively new technique. Traditional method uses screws to hold the tibia and fibula together. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm showing an animated video of this procedure. If not, I'll describe it for you. You drill a hole through both the tibia and fibula and run a wire through the holes. The wires is anchored at each end and can be tightened to pull the bones together. The wire is preloaded into a rivet gun-like device, so it's not like surgeons have to craft this off of wire they find off the shelves. Multiple studies around 10 years ago showed good results in holding the tibia and fibula together, similar efficacy to the traditional screw method. Tuatanga Valoa is one of the most famous patients to have ever had this done. He had this done in 2018 and 2019 at Alabama on both ankles. Most recently, Kenny Pickett of the Steelers had this done just a couple weeks ago. What are the pros and cons of the tightrope surgery? Pros of the tightrope are they rarely require hardware removal, allow for a little bit better range of motion of the ankle, and probably most importantly for NFL players, earlier return to weight-bearing, thus earlier ability to rehab you can see why it makes sense for NFL players to choose this method over a traditional method. Screws may be a stronger hold for older non-athletes. Now, if tightrope surgery is better, why is it taking 10 plus years to become more widely adopted? Couple reasons. Number one, with any new surgical device or medication, it takes time for doctors to learn about it and become comfortable with it. Number two, Here's a little inside the medical world. Most research studies are funded by the company that sells that product, whether it's a device, a medication, a lab test, etc. As you can imagine, there's a strong incentive for the company to want that study to prove that their product works. So there's a serious conflict of interest there. You'd like to be able to trust research studies. However, the reality is there are ways to design a study and execute a study to increase the likelihood it's going to give you the results you want. There are also ways of analyzing the data afterwards that can help spin it to make it look like it's more effective. Thus, with any new product, it's a good idea to have a healthy amount of skepticism. Waiting a few years to see if there are any unexpected side effects or unintended consequences is a smart thing to do. Let's do our weekly CJGJ update. Unfortunately, every day that goes by that he's not activated on that practice window makes it less and less likely he's returning this year. Dan Campbell did say a few days ago he expects late December or January return. Somewhat disappointing news as there was a chance he could have been back earlier. I was hoping he'd be back this week for the Broncos game, but it looks like that's not going to happen. J.J. Watt, few years ago, returning nine weeks after a pec injury, so it's possible. Every injury is different, though, so we don't know the details of J.J. Watt's surgery. Typically, pec tears have been four-plus month season enders. What gives C.J. G.J. a chance to return a little bit earlier is he doesn't need that pec to be 100% in order to play. He just needs that re-rupture risk to be close to baseline, Conditioning is also not going to be an issue because he can condition himself while he's rehabbing that pec. The pec is not essential to play cornerback or safety, unlike, say, James Houston, who absolutely needs that ankle to be almost 100% in order to be functional. For CJ, GJ, and James Houston, we really need that practice window to open up in the next few days. There's only four weeks left in the season. The practice window is 21 days. So what are we waiting for here? It's almost now or never time. Let's do a deep dive analysis into the question: should players who get injured during a game continue to keep playing? Justin Rogers and I believe Dave Burkett asked Dan Campbell this question after the Aleem McNeil issue, where he continued to play, then two days later ended up on IR. By my count, I have 10 Lions who played through an injury during a game and then missed subsequent games. Taylor Decker, high ankle, missed two. Kirby Joseph, hip, missed two. CJGJ Peck, on IR, has missed 10-plus games. Amon Ra, abdomen, at Lambeau, missed one. Brian Branch, also at Lambeau, high ankle, missed two. Jonah Jackson, high ankle, missed three. Ragnall, calf, missed one. Jonah Jackson, again, wrist, missed two. Ali McNeil, which we discussed, on IR, missing at least four. Bruce Irvin, just recently, high ankle, missed one, possibly more. How does this compare to other teams or Lions of previous years? I don't know. I don't track other teams that closely, and I haven't tracked the Lions this closely in the past either. But certainly, it does happen. Just a couple days ago, we saw Tyree Hill of the Dolphins have a high ankle sprain, kept going back in and out of the game on Monday night. So played through that injury. Khalif Raymond in the Chargers game had a high ankle sprain, was down on the field for a little bit, but continued to play and never ended up missing a game. So it happens way more often than we realize that players have injuries like a high ankle sprain. We never notice it, finish the game, never miss another game. We don't even see him on the injury report. What's the risk of playing on an injured body part? Well, you almost certainly aggravate it and extend the recovery time. You also risk a compensation injury or paying and disability from one injury causing a different injury. So it really comes down to risk-reward analysis. The reward is you have a starter continue to play in the game. The risk is you lose that player for more games than you would otherwise. Let's review each case and decide if we would do anything different in retrospect. Most of these cases had minor injuries that only missed one, two, or three games. By pulling a player, maybe you save them from missing one or two games, which isn't a lot. And you risk pulling a player that would have gone on to miss zero games, which happens, as I said, way more often than we know. McNeil's knee, you certainly would have pulled them in retrospect, but with a benign video, Exam being reassuring, and his ability to continue playing in the game at a high level, it's hard to find fault with anybody here. Sometimes unexpected things are going to show up later on MRI. CJGJ's torn pec, unlikely he did any further damage and would not have effective recovery time, so no issues there. Brian Branch is the only one of the 10 that I find slight fault with. He had a clear high ankle sprain on video. It was severe enough that he was down for a while, limped off, needed to go back to the locker room and get taped up, ended up aggravating it and leaving the game permanently. Probably should have sat him the rest of the game, especially with the game being a double digit game. Fortunately, he only missed two games though. So how much responsibility lies on the medical staff to protect players from further injury? The tools they have at disposal, they have video to review. They also have their exam as well as x-ray. They don't have MRI. Medical also significantly relies on a player's self-reporting symptoms. If a player chooses not to report symptoms or didn't even know that he got hurt because of adrenaline, it makes it difficult to diagnose the injury on video. It makes it difficult to even find it on video. On exam... You can possibly get an idea of what's going on, but exams aren't perfect. So it's up to the player to report an injury when it happens. Do the Lions want to maybe emphasize the players to report any injury during a game? This would give medical a chance to review the tape. So if it's a high ankle, for example, maybe they play it safe and pull the player instead of possibly aggravating that ankle. This may come into play as we get closer to the playoffs. The priority is the playoff game, so if a player gets hurt, say, game 16, game 17 with a high ankle, maybe a good idea to pull him out of that game so that he can be more likely ready for that playoff game. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the Lions-Broncos game on primetime Saturday night. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go, Let's go. Woo! Let's go. Lions on three. One, two, three. Plus. Um, You've had enough of that shit.